Good morning. It's great to see you. Thank you for the birthday wishes. Um, you're enjoying it much more than I am. And uh, please watch your email tomorrow for a new job posting. We'll be looking for a new community outreach pastor. Um, so uh, watch for that. I do want to say that on the seven, on the we're normally each September we have a kickoff Sunday where we invite you to come back and we have events and stuff like that. Um, this year, given the increased number of people, we're splitting that into two Sundays. And so on September the 10th, you'll see here we're going to have a special time after the service for for families, and then on the on the 17th we're going to have a special time kind of for adults who are looking to connect or looking to volunteer. So we're just doing the same thing. We're just kind of splitting it over two weekends uh, to make it a little bit more manageable for our volunteers. So just a heads up about that. Uh, In 2009, uh, Pastor John's mom and dad, Ken and Shirley Knight, who were CBM missionaries to India, wrote a book telling of the missionary work in a specific part of India, as well as their own contribution and a significant one to it. And the title of this book has an excellent, kind of amazing, captivating title. It's called, The Seed Holds the Tree. The Seed Holds the Tree. And I just love this idea because it captures a sort of miracle, if you will, that within this tiny seed holds the knowledge and the intellect and the capacity for the whole of the tree. And it's incredible that when you think about it, that something so small holds the capacity to become something so great. And that a seed put in the right circumstances and given the right environment can become profoundly greater. In fact, the next time you see somebody taking a picture in the park of this amazing tree, you should stop them and say, no, no, pick up an acorn off the ground and say, this is even greater than that tree, to think about the fact that this seed holds the tree. Today we're finishing off our summer series, which has been going on pretty much, I think, since the beginning of June, uh, through the parables of Jesus. And we're coming full circle today, and we're going to finish up looking at Matthew chapter 13, which is actually where we started thinking about the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is a phrase that Jesus uses to describe the rule and the reign of God in people's lives here on earth. It's where God gets his way where God's will and purpose gets expressed through the lives of his people. Most people in Jesus' day, and we're guilty of it as well, think of the kingdom of God as something off in the future that after we die, we'll get a chance to go there. But Jesus came and announced good news. And he said, the good news is this, God's kingdom has come to us. It's here. It's now. And it's available to each of us even today which is the theme of these last two parables that we're going to look at in Matthew chapter 13. I invite you to turn there or look it up on your phone, Matthew 13, starting at verse 31. And we're just going to read uh, two short parables, and then we'll dive into them here this morning. Matthew chapter 13, starting at verse 31. Then he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all the seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds will come and perch in its branches. Still, he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked through all of the dough. 
Jesus spoke all of these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable, so that what was fulfilled, so, so, was, so was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables, and I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. Now, normally I don't like to do multi-point messages, um, but as is apt to this parable, it's a tiny parable, but there's a lot to say about it. And so I'm going to say a number of things this morning, kind of throw out four, th- four points that I think kind of come from this parable. But my hope isn't that you remember all four. I know that you won't. I'm hoping that one, that one will stick with you and land with you, and that will provide some help as you think about what is God wanting to say to you in this season. The first thing this parable reminds us is this. God's work starts small, but it's alive, so it grows. God's work in our life starts small, but God's word is alive, and so it grows within us. You say a prayer, you repent, you read the scriptures, all of these are kind of small things, but they create something larger over time. This is gardening season, so some of you are in, this, in, the, in the time of year where you're going out to your gardens and you're bringing in baskets filled with vegetables. But your garden season didn't start that way. It started with a pocket full of seeds. Maybe some of those little packets you, rip, you carried out in one hand and you planted them, and they, over time, those seeds were alive, so they grew, and now you're coming in with baskets filled with vegetables. My grandparents were prairie farmers, and I can still remember as a little kid, it was always striking to me that in the spring, they would plant their harvest and work very, very hard, and then they'd go on vacation to the mountains. And it's like, well, it's summer, you should be farming. But after the seed had been planted, it was the seed's job to do what seeds do. The seed did not need to be reminded to grow. It did not need to be coaxed to come up out of the ground. It was alive. And so it was going to do what it was going to do. Think about Jesus' ministry. He comes in a rural part of Palestine, one man, announcing the good news of the kingdom of God. And today over two billion people will gather in worship services around the world as followers of him. It started small, but it was alive, and so it grew into something so much greater. I think about the book that I referenced at the beginning of of the nights, thinking about this part of a remote part of India where God's word took root in that area, faithfully serving the original missionaries over seven years before the first convert, and now growing into a movement of God today. It started small, but it was alive, and it grew. And the implication for you and I as disciples of Jesus is to remember that so much of what Jesus calls us to do are actually small things. But because the Spirit of God is alive in us, over time it grows. If there's a phrase that I've become more and more enamored with over time, it's the phrase common faithfulness. So, much, so many times, especially if you're in church world and you read kind of Christian literature, everybody's calling you to have radical faith, to be on fire for the Lord and to be passionate and to kind of act like you have to be this incredible person that does amazing things 24-7. So much of the time, God is calling us to common faithfulness. Small acts of faithfulness done consistently over time, which create the conditions for God to do the work that he is calling us to do. Because God's word is alive, 
and it will grow in us. Which reminds me of something which I really hate personally, but I hate it so much I will inflict it upon you as well. And that is this, that so much of discipleship is about time. So much of following Jesus and allowing God to do his work in our lives is about understanding that Jesus sees our discipleship as a marathon, not a sprint. It's it's not microwave oven. It's cooking ribs on the barbecue for seven hours on a lovely Saturday, slow and over time. A seed is planted. It takes time to mature. The yeast is put into the flour. It takes time for it to rise. Christ's work in your life, it's going to take some time. And so maybe today you need to be reminded that Jesus is not in a hurry with you. He's willing to take his time with you, to grow you, to mature you over time so that you become the person that he is calling you to be. That's the first thing. Second, Christ's work impacts every aspect of our life. How many of you have ever had a recipe that calls for 60 pounds of flour? Anybody? You came home and maybe your dad was cooking something on the counter and he had six 10-pound bags of flour sitting there ready to put into the mixer and you thought, oh, he's making biscuits for supper. (laughs) Anybody? No. Jesus is using an exaggerated amount of flour to make a point. Is it even possible for yeast to transform 60 pounds of flour? I don't think it is, most people would say. How can such a tiny amount bring 60 pounds of flour to life? And again, Jesus is helping you and I as his followers to have clarity about what it is that he does and what it is that we do. We need the flour. He grows. We work to make sure the yeast gets into the corner of our lives and he grows, he heals, he alivens those areas. We roll up our sleeves and get our hands dirty, making sure that there's no place in our life, whether it's in our heart, our mind, our behavior, where Christ is not invited to rule and to reign. And he transforms, and he brings it to life. If you're hoping for a version of Christianity that says, you know, I'm going to pray a prayer, and then I'm going to do whatever I like, and Jesus doesn't want to have anything to do with me till I die, you're wrong. If you're hoping for a version of Christianity where you could say, hey, Jesus, come into my life, you can have access to this room and this room, but not these ones. These doors are locked. These are mine. You're wrong. That's not the invitation of Jesus He has come to bring total restoration and redemption. Meaning your life might feel like 60 pounds of flour, impossible to bring to life, impossible to raise up and to do anything with. But Jesus says, if you give me access, you leave it to me, that's my job, and I will do it. Third, this parable reminds us that God might not do in your life what you want him to do. That might be good, depending on your expectations. That might be difficult, depending on your expectations. Jesus, in the parable of the mustard seed, talks about it growing into a big plant, even a tree. A bush is probably a better description. Then he says the birds are going to come and perch and and kind of live in her branches. Now, anybody in the ancient world would have thought about birds living in trees would not have thought of a mustard tree. That's not where they pictured birds. Cedars, yes. Pine trees, yes. But mustard trees, no. 
No one would have expected Jesus to use a mustard tree as an illustration. Most commentators think Jesus used the example of a mustard tree because it would have caught everybody off guard. A mustard tree? Really? Birds in a mustard tree? Reminding what has been a theme throughout this parable season is that God, his work, does not look like we expect it to be. For Jesus' day, they expected when Jesus comes in his fullness, he's going to throw over the Romans, he's going to instate a new political system, and we will be free. That's what God will do, and that's not what God did. He did not work in the way that he wanted. And sometimes God doesn't work in the way that we want in our lives either. Maybe that's been your experience. Maybe you pictured your life as the towering cedars of Lebanon, and you were a scraggly mustard tree instead. But Jesus is reminding us that your life might not take on an impressive form in light of the world's expectations, but it can accomplish something of great eternal value, if you are willing. Lastly, the work of God that he wants to do in your life, it's not just for you. It's not just for you. God called Abram to be a blessing to the world. He called Israel to be a light to the nations. And he calls you and I to allow the redemptive work that God is doing in our own hearts to be a blessing to others as well. Jesus uses again this image of a mustard seed that grows into a tree for birds to come and perch in their branches to which we all think, okay. But if you're a Jewish audience, immediately you remember that the two passages, one in Ezekiel and one in Daniel, paints the picture of Israel becoming this spiritual home for the nations. As a tree becomes home for birds. It reads like this, On the mountain heights of Israel, I will plant it. I will produce branches and bear fruit and become a splendid tree. Birds of every kind will nest in it. They will find shelter in the shade of its branches. Its leaves are beautiful, its fruit abundant, and on it the food was for all. Under the tree, wild animals found shelter, and the birds lived in its branches, and from it every creature was fed. In God's economy, when he does a transforming work in our life, it's not just for us. He wants to use his work in our lives to be a blessing to others too. And we can picture this. If I become more patient through the Spirit's redeeming work, I am not the only person that benefits. I'm going to hear an amen from my family over here. If I become less selfish, I will not be the only person who benefits. If I leave behind destructive behaviors, I will not just benefit me. You get the idea. As God has his way in our life and redeems it, we look for opportunities that it would be a blessing to others too. And so, as we conclude our parable season over this long summer, I don't know which of these points you need to think about some more, but I would encourage you to do so. Maybe it's a call to common faithfulness. Lord, I'm going to be faithful to you each and every day. Maybe it's a call to be patient and remember that God needs time to do his work in us. Maybe it's a reminder that Christ wants to rule over all of your life, not just the selected parts that you are making, giving him keys to. Or maybe it's the idea that God might do something different in your life than you expected. And are we willing for that? Or that Christ's work must be shared because it could benefit someone else who needs to be reminded that God 
can work in their situation too. Now, I know one of the themes as we've been going through the parables has been the reminder that this requires faith for us to believe that God could do this kind of work. And as I talk to believers, and I've experienced it in my own life, two themes are, number one, my faith isn't strong enough. It's just simply not strong enough. I can't actually live this out because I don't have strong enough faith. The other aspect of a theme that I hear from people, they say, is that, you know what? When I think about faith, I think about all the things that I have to do, and I'm going to work, 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 and do, 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 and God's just kind of sitting there passively watching me do it all. Neither of those are accurate, which is why I find these parables so hopeful. God is going to do his work in our lives. We can participate or we can hinder. And maybe today if you're thinking, well, you know, I don't have the kind of faith that can aliven 60 pounds of flour or that can grow a tree for the whole nations to find their home. That's okay. That's not your job. That's not your job. Our job is to create the conditions in our heart where God can do the work that he wants to do. And all that requires is a little bit of faith. A number of weeks ago, we looked at a passage in Luke chapter 17, verse 6, where Jesus said, we only need faith the size of a mustard seed, and if we have that amount of faith, we can tell a mulberry bush, do you remember? To be thrown and uprooted into the sea. Now, some of you might be worried that we pastors now, that there's such things as AI and chat GPT, we are now farming out our sermon prep to the internet. Not yet. We're thinking about it. Um, Instead, actually, I farmed it out to my son, Ethan. And he and I had a conversation about this passage a few weeks ago, and so I'm stealing some of his notes and going to use them here in my conclusion today, because he had an insight into that passage that I think is so hopeful and helpful, both to the conversation that we've just had about whether or not we believe God is being able to do what he needs to do in our lives. And it's the idea that we just need a small amount of faith. He wrote me this. He said, you know, Jesus is saying if we have even a small amount of faith, you could command a tree, and trees typically live where? in the ground, in the soil, to be uprooted and to live in the sea. Have you ever kayaked down the St. John River and seen a tree living just on the waters there, flourishing and thriving? Probably not. It's absurd, but it's a reminder of what God can do, that the laws of nature, therefore, can be changed by a mustard seed's amount of faith. And I wonder for you today, if you could believe that in this next season, God might do something significant in your life, not because of your greatness, not because of how awesome you are and how many wonderful things you do, but you believe that just by my faithful obedience day in and day out, God could raise me to life like 60 pounds of dead flour, that God could take root in me and grow something that could become a blessing for somebody else. This is the gift of faith to us. I hope that you will embrace it. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this invitation. It's so hopeful that we can trust you today with a little bit of faith that we might be able to bring together and that it can activate your power and your work in our lives. Lord, give us the courage that we need Give us the imagination that we need. Give, me the, give us the discipline that we need in order that we can experience your transforming work in each of our lives. And we pray this in your name.